Well, today here on The Bottom Line, joined by a special guest who has a resource that will be of tremendous benefit to a lot of us who are asking questions about what's happening in the culture, why it's happening in the culture, and how we and the body of Christ can actually speak to these issues. Uh, Dr. Eric Mason is with me once again, and uh, we're discussing a brand new work of his where he's the general editor and also a contributor to a new book called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. The book is just now out. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Eric Mason, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, thank you for having me. Glad to be on the show. Dr. Mason is the founder and lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia. He's also the founder and president of Thriving, which is an urban resource organization for ministry in the urban context. He's the author of four books, and this new one is just a, it's absolutely dynamic and a dynamite. Dr. Mason, talk about why the need now to bring the different voices together, to talk about some of these issues that seem to be just kind of lingering in the culture, and I think a lot of Christians are just drifting. You know, looking for a place to land, saying, "What? How can I think Christianly about these issues?" Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on. I appreciate you guys having me, and um, glad we're we're here together. So, the first book was more on uh, in, the, in the black community dealing with uh, black what we call black religious identity cults. Mm-hmm. We call them bricks, and mm-hmm. um, and so that, that because there's a lot of urban legends about the Christian faith in in in, in so many different uh, ways in the black community where the apologetic issues in the black community is a bit different than other communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, and because of that, and because of that, uh, I felt like we needed a resource that kind of deals with that because it comes up every 20 to 30 years. So that was that. So this book, on the other hand, is a bit broader because even though, um, other ethnicities did use the first book, this one is more broad than just what's apologetically going on merely in black culture. Uh, this is just talking about general um, uh, uh, cultural ideologies and cults that have been affecting the church, particularly urban communities, but also a lot of other issues that evangelicals and uh, liberal Christians have been engaging about and being challenged about. So our desire was in a society where we're dealing with a ton of syncretism among Christians, um, we're dealing with uh, groups that parade themselves as believers and uh, stuff that's being married to Christianity that's really more cultural Christianity or, or nationalism versus just biblical, historical, vintage uh, Christianity. And so our desire is to utilize uh, this resource as a way to deal with intellectual and even emotional barriers that people may have to the gospel so that people can see Jesus more clearly and come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also uh, meant to stabilize believers that are wrestling uh, through some of these issues as they are navigating in their narrative on planet Earth. You know, it's amazing to, to have this conversation today, and I'm so grateful that you and the, the scholars that you've uh, com, uh, uh, compiled together, you know, brought together for this Urban Apologetics book, uh, are helping us to deal with these issues because a lot of times you're right. I mean, there are so many people who are looking at things that are cultural and trying to make them, you know, sacred or biblical and not realizing that uh, they've been influenced more by the culture than by the Lord. How, yeah. Dr. Mason, yeah. how, do, how do you identify this kind of cult-like mentality? I know you have a chapter in the book you've written called, you know, that addresses the question, what is a cult? But can you give us maybe a 60 to 90 second overview of how the cult ideology may be more than a lot of us even think? Yeah, I think, um, Cult ideology is, it says, uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Right. Uh, cult says, we, the, 
this cult is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to Jesus except by us. So it, it, it literally, cults usually make themselves the mediator between God and man. And mm. when that when that happens, um, you know, you know, one of the things that I talk about, I talk about different levels of cult. But one of the things that you, you know, when, when a cult is it's particularly extreme cult, to leave our church or to leave our organization is to leave God. That's when you know you're mm. a part of a cult. When people te- seem to reduce God's kingdom to that particular uh, uh, mechanism or sect or organization, uh, it's a very, very reductionistic view of you know, how we get to God and really it's replacement, it's idolatry and it's sin. And so a lot of people, uh, through the process of how people get involved in cults is that, you know, nobody comes out and says we are a cult, you know, right. um, right. they, you know, they, 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 they have, they are masterminds of, uh, um, wooing people in particularly who are in vulnerable places in life or had certain traumas. And what they try to do is they try to be the they, they present themselves as the remedy, the organization of being a part of that community as a remedy for that for, for, for that trauma. And, lo, and and the only way for that trauma to remain remedied is to remain connected to that entity. So, yeah. Mm. Interesting. They kind of create the problem and then also they're the only solution. And if you try to bust away from that, uh, it, it kind of I mean, in, in many this, I hope this isn't too loose of a connection, Dr. Mason, but uh, I, I kind of get the sense that it almost feels like a gang, you know, in the sense that you kind of get to have the beat in to oh, get yeah. in. And if you try to <laughs> you try to leave, it's not going to happen. And I think, wow, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody who would join a church thinking that they were getting into that kind of initiation. But the way you described it, I mean, that's uh, it, it's a very powerful word picture. Dr. Eric Mason is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, there's a there's been a lot of push in the culture. I mean, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more on the other side of this break, but regard to this kind of tribalism that seems to be showing up more and more. People are concerned about uh, white Christian nationalism. They're concerned about critical race theory. They're concerned about a, a variety of different things. You mentioned black liberation theology earlier. Uh, we've got a couple sure. minutes to break here, and I don't want to have you rush through all three of those in 90 seconds, but kind of give us an overview as to what you're sensing in terms of why people drift toward those types of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, those, those cult mentalities that says this is the only way the church can function. Yeah, I, I just believe that, you know, I just believe in First Timothy 1-4, you know, in later times many will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of lies seared in their own consciousness with a branding. I really believe that we are in this, this time of apostasy. Apostasy will look two ways. Um, you will see apostasy uh, that is um, abandoning the faith altogether. Um, but then there's another apostasy, which is a reassignment of truth within the faith. And mm. it'll look like it's still in the faith, but it's a reassignment of the faith. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how many people are moving in, in those directions and finding some sort of comfort level in there. I mean, I, I, I use comfort in air quotes. I can't imagine that ultimately when people realize the truth of what they're getting themselves into, that they would find that very comforting. And yet it does seem to mirror... I mean, in terms of the cultural identities that people are identifying with, you know, I'm a LGBTQ person or I'm a this or I'm a that and anything but what God has originally planned for us. Um, 
Are you surprised, Dr. Mason, to see as a result of the crazy landscape that we're in right now, so many people engaging in what you call faith deconstruction, where they're just kind of like saying, ah, to heck with it. I used to believe this stuff, and now it's just easier to try to get through the day without it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I was I was thinking about it as you were talking. We I just think it's on the it's going to continue to be on the rise, and I think some of it it's for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is is I think God is distilling down, um, like He always does, to a to a true remnant. So, and when that happens, um, what ends up happening is we get a we get we get a better church, I think, and we get a clearer gospel, um, and we get more serious believers, and. Um, because because without this type of resistance, we, we tend to fall into a, a spirit of apathy. But I think these the, you know these different groups and these different ideologies are, are, are natural inclinations that are going to happen over time as God is calling. I believe just God is calling the church to be uh, a, a more efficient missionary and mm-hmm. us getting our missionary fervor uh, back again as a community and as a church and as a, a, a kingdom representative of, of the Lord. And, uh, the, you know, the challenge with these ideologies is some of them have some truthful things in them, right? Yeah. And yeah. so when you look at like a black liberation theology, is God a liberator? Absolutely. But is God the God of the oppressed? And is that justification of the oppressed automatically justified because of the oppression? Absolutely not. But, um, but, 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 but the truth in that is when there's an issue in a culture and challenges with whether it's racism, whatever you want to call it, system racism, whatever you want to call it, right? These, the different groups usually try to create a a remedy to that that ends up becoming the center and the extreme. Mm. And so, um, and so that, so that, that's when it begins to fall away from the faith. Even I, I have, I had a friend. Uh, that uh, a, a dear friend of mine, uh, uh, they started a multi-ethnic church, and um, and one of the guys had to tell some of the church members, people at the church, because they thought every church got to be multi-ethnic. And the person was like, "Man, multi-ethnicity is a result of mission. It, it's not, you know, it's it, like if it, 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 you you can't center the church. The gospel is the center of the church, not multi. As Jesus is the center, not multi-ethnicity. And so right. we got to be careful." of worshiping multi-ethnicity mm-hmm. um, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not making sure we're worshiping Christ and missiologically sharing our faith. So I think, I think that that's so important with uh, understanding that the, there are things that the church needs to correct, um, but what cults tend to do is it's the para-anti-church. So like para-church you know, specializes in something the church can't focus on full-time with the discipleship, whatever. These anti-parachurch deals are the opposite. They try to focus on something the church not focused on, on, but make that the center of what the church should focus on. And that's what those groups of those cults end up centering on. Well, that's great insight and a good exhortation from Dr. Eric Mason today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. 
This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Dr. Eric Mason is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His brand new book is called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Dr. Mason, we were yeah. talking during the break about how people are responding to this. And this is people from all across all different, you know, ideological sides of the body of Christ. There, there, there's a unifying effect that this this work is having. Talk, talk about why that is so important for us to stop majoring in the Miners, like you said, where the that one issue that is like I love the way you put it—a parachurch issue can become an anti-parachurch, uh, you know, moment in terms of the way the enemy will use that kind of cult-like activity to drive people further away from the kingdom, thinking they're moving toward the kingdom. Uh, talk about how this book is bringing people together. I think one of the things that we need more than ever today is clarity. Mm, clarity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I like what Paul said, talks about when he's preaching the gospel, he wants to make it clear as he ought. You know, I consider myself to know nothing about you except crucified. I want to make Christ clear to you. And um, I think that we're in a society um, where, um, because this, this, is, this is interesting, and um, so I feel like because Christianity has been branded as hypocritical mm-hmm. and judgmental, um nowadays Christians uh are dimming their lights to not come off as judgmental, but more syncretistic and accepting of things that we need to challenge. And so there are those to answer your question that are seeing that and are realizing, hey, you know, how are they here without a preacher? You know, so I gotta begin to mm-hmm. communicate. And so now people you know, urban apologetics, people always ask me, where do I get started with urban apologetics? And people, are, they ask me, what, I want to get into apologetics, da, da, da. And I said, well, I said, that, that, that's good you want to get into apologetics. But I said, you know, you, 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 you don't start basketball with the crossover and slam dunk. You, you, <laughs> right, you start, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you start with the fundamentals. Do you understand, you know, the, the, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, biblical, you know, uh, uh, you know, basic hermeneutics, sanctification, soteriology, eschatology. Do you, do you do you know some of those fundamentals, the, the the nature and purpose of the church? I said when you get those foundational things going, apologetics will make even more sense. It's like when mm-hmm. I went to seminary, I realized that I was terrible at the English language when I started learning Greek and Hebrew because I had to go back. And I couldn't learn Greek and Hebrew well until I learned the English language better. So mm. I had to go back, re-up on the fundamentals of the English language so that I could study other languages better. And so um, 
that, that's been an encouragement that it's driven people to want to, like, they've grown up and say, I believe in the Trinity, but then when they come upon a Muslim that's saying you got three gods and Jesus being God is blasphemy, da 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 where do you get the Trinity from? Where is it in the Bible? And the people, you can't just say, well, I just believe it. You have to be able to have some mm-hmm. level of a handle on the scriptures, not yeah. as a preacher, as a disciple of Jesus. Um, and, 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 and so that's what's exciting about me. The book, Disciples of Jesus are viewing themselves as a need to have a level of fundamental expertise in understanding and knowing our faith and loving and knowing our God. So I love it. I love it. I think it's this great, a good conversation, very encouraging one with Dr. Eric Mason today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. And one thing that I appreciate, uh, Dr. Mason, especially because these guys have been guests on the program, but also you're you're bringing, you know, a, a very current contemporary look. But then when it comes time to really drive the conviction part of it home, I mean, you didn't you didn't hold back. Crawford Loritz, Kenneth Ulmer, John Perkins, for crying out loud. I mean, you, you brought in some heavy hitters you brought in some heavy hitters here to kind of reinforce that talk about why that is so critical though i mean i I get the sense that christian christianity and this is just a general critique of our faith has become so what's happening now it just happened to me so that's the whole history and we forget people who've had to walk the road and maybe even walk more difficult roads in their faith than we have talk about why that mentoring part is so critical such a critical part of this resource yeah, I've always built in, I mean, not built in, but believed in uh, intergenerational relationships. Yeah. Um, and these intergenerational relationships are exceedingly important. And the it, because, you know, I, I wanted to get like one to three generations, two to three generations dialoguing and writing together and talking about uh, our experiences and how um, this is just a new form of what they dealt with, you know, decades ago. You know, um, mm-hmm. when you have a John Perkins who's been doing this for over 50 years and, you know, uh, Bishop Omer and uh, different ones, it's, it's just been good to have them involved because we need, a lot of times we think new is cool and, you know, just because somebody has a million views on a sermon clip on TikTok and Instagram or YouTube, that they're wise and, and we really need that, that we, we need to know that there's nothing new under the sun. And even though Dr. LaRich would say, Hey, I think things are worse now than they were in the sixties in many ways, he would say, but it's still, he said, fundamentally it's the same thing uh, mm-hmm. over again. But he said now because of the internet, of course, information spreads so fast. And so getting wisdom from them on, you know, how did, how did evangelicalism do in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s and 70s? How did you all, um, you know, as black Christians navigate that space when you're being called to sell out by your own people because you're right. a believer and they call it Christianity, white man's religion. So being able to have those generational voices that speak to you and, and speak into this resource while also them, you know, and Dr. Bishop Oma teaches apologetics at, at Biola. So he, um, you know, uh, he he ta- he uses this in his class. These both of these books in his class, and he's talking about man how much he had to upgrade his understanding of what was going on because of contemporary issues. So there's a mutual, um, you know, a beneficial and mutual exchange 
that I believe that has to happen between the generations. Well, that's a good reminder from Dr. Eric Mason today here on The Bottom Line as we talk about his book, Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians, which is linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. We always think of mentoring as, okay, the elder helping the next generation coming along, but things have moved so quickly. And I'm, I'm in my early 60s now, and I realize that I'm still learning new things every day about, you know, from the younger generation, from different uh, uh, cultural backgrounds and things of that nature that it's quite frankly i'm old and crotchety dr mason i don't want to learn new stuff and yet i have i mean but i have to right i mean we all have to stay you know fresh and moldable i guess as as you would say um talk about how 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 can someone in my season of life use a book like this to benefit you know the, the the fact that i want to grow stronger in my faith i want to grow deeper in my faith and i may have to pull an eric mason and say hey maybe i need to go back to the rudiments because i'm not as skilled in this or knowledgeable in this as i thought i was yeah i think um you know and that's what we're experiencing with um guys of other ages is being able particularly with families right and so I've had parents of adult kids that are saying, "Hey, my child is dealing with this." I have I have a friend now. Uh, a friend now, they have a child that uh, that's in a cult right now, and yeah. um, and, and and using this resource as a way to kind of engage him and love on him and and that type of thing. And I think that um, in order to you know, we never stop being missionaries. And so um, uh, you know, I, you know, if we want to call them senior saints. Uh, can can uh, sometimes being older, you know, it makes you a great evangelist because that respect level uh, can build common ground for you to be able to uh, say certain things that someone maybe their age or younger couldn't say. And so I, I do. I just think it's. I think it's paramount. I also would love to. Another thing that I would love to see is some older Christians do content creation. You know, we got some crazy content creation where people are not acting their age, but we need some seasoned godly saints that's just that's working with the next generation to do content creation uh so that um some of the things that the lord has taught them over the years uh, can do that and that content creation can also be a platform to deal with the issues particularly in this book uh, to, to be able to talk through uh different issues and be able to hear an older christians view it because a lot of people don't view older christians uh, and, and believers as, as 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 they believe them to be in a particular place automatically, mm -hmm. and so right. if you're going through here and you're talking about you know calls, you're talking about deconstruct faith deconstruct, you saying stuff like you know um, we a lot of people deconstructed their faith in the '60s, you know, even before the Jesus movement. You sure. know, you're beginning to telling them there's nothing new under the sun. Y'all deconstruction is different because you're exposed to the internet. Um, but um, our deconstruction was this, and then being able to talk about that type of thing, talk about um, gender, sex, and marriage, and how um, in the 80s, you know, that, that whole movement when uh, pre-80s and 70s with Harvey Milk and, and, you know, the feminist movement, and the, I mean, it's so much to dialogue about and to let people know how long this stuff has been, because everybody thinks a lot of stuff is new. And right. so in this generation, they'd be able to learn from it, like saying, oh, this is on steroids now. Like, cause, yeah. because, you know, it's not the same as the 70s, it's not the same as the 60s, because everything's on steroids now. And so now we're having schools that are pushing um, gender agendas on children at a very, very early age. We got people that are, we got kids that are being transitioned 
uh, before they finish puberty. And then you now you have videos of people talking about, you know, um, I, I regret my parents right. allowing me to transition at 14 years old, you know. And so, mm-hmm. man, my parents didn't deal with that. Neither did mine. My parents did not. You know, they didn't deal with, they don't even, they, they, they can't even, they, they, my dad, my, they're going to want to be with all of my mom and dad, but they, they didn't get to this point. They would have never in their mind ever thought that the, that that insurance would pay for a child to transition before hmm. they are. It, it's, I mean, we don't. Of course, we don't affirm transitioning. Uh, we believe that you know the image of God that you have on you is sufficient, right? But um, in, in the way He created you. But it, it's just like man, like being able to dialogue through that stuff and work through that stuff, and then serve people in those communities. Because we're not just going around saying, "Oh, you're going to hell." We the purpose of the apologetic is to understand it but also to build a bridge to be able to see people go from spiritual death to spiritual life. That is why we do apologetics. We're not doing apologetics to argue. We're not doing apologetics because we're angry. We're doing apologetics because we want to see people uh, come into the kingdom of God and be loved. But these, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you know, 3 or 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers in order they may not see the glorious gospel. And so apologetics is really God through the Holy Spirit utilizing us to pull that veil off of their faith, that intellectual barrier, or the, uh, uh, which is, you know, things that they think, uh, and uh, emotional barrier, experiences that they've had. We want to see the Spirit of God pull that off of them so that they can see the glorious gospel. That's why we do apologetics. Amazing discussion, powerful conversation today here on The Bottom Line, and so grateful for a lot of time with Dr. Eric Mason. Uh, The book we're discussing is called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com if you uh, liked the books he's written about urban apologetics. This is a resource that is designed not just to take us into a certain ethnicity or a certain uh, cultural background, but basically there are a lot of issues that we're talking about in the culture today, whether it be critical race theory, white nationalism, black liberation theology. This book covers all of them. Now, we've got not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. So get on the phone and start calling right now. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. It's the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I think one of the things I love that Dr. Mason makes the distinction about, it used to be when you talked about urban things and what that meant typically was African-American. Uh, but it's not just like a place, like the inner city, quote unquote, anymore. It, it, it's a culture. And there are a lot of people who are Christ followers who are facing challenges to their faith because of the rising influence of contemporary cults and alternative theologies and just ethical issues that are basically challenging a lot of these beliefs, whether it be in the African-American church or in the Hispanic church or the Anglo church or whatever. And it, and it, this book covers all of it. I mean, it looks at Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, it looks at uh, um, the Seventh-day Adventist community and says, okay, what could be cult-like about that? There is a danger that many people are kind of tiptoeing along the edge of saying, okay, here's what we're doing. We're, you know, we, we want to be focused on a certain issue. We want to you know, be able to address you know, what does the scripture say about you know, these different deals. But if we get too focused on one part of it to the exclusion of others, 
then we do run the risk of becoming more of a cult and less of a church. And the book Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians, gets down and dirty with the issues that we are dealing with as a culture and how we can stand up and be biblical. I mean, the whole name of the game is what is a biblical response to these cultural challenges? A lot of times in the body of Christ, we'll just you know, hear the pastor say, well, we don't talk about that stuff here. Uh, it, it, it harms our membership. We don't grow as quickly as we, if we do. But these are well thought out arguments by Dr. Eric Mason and his team that I commend to you. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Three copies of the book, Urban Apologetics, by Dr. Eric Mason. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law fights for your rights inside and outside the courtroom. As an experienced trial attorney, Stephanie knows that litigating inside a courtroom often costs you more in terms of money, stress, and time. That's why, for the client's sake, she will work hard to settle without the need for a costly trial. Stephanie consistently led her firm in settled cases each month. Because Stephanie worked for insurance companies for decades, she knows how to talk to them. Her knowledge of the insurance process means she's highly qualified and even enjoys talking to insurance adjusters and attorneys on your behalf. Stephanie challenges them with tough questions and holds them accountable for your benefit. When you're in an accident, you want an attorney that will protect your rights and get you the settlement you deserve. Call the attorney who knows the insurance company's processes inside and out and will fight for your total compensation. Call Stephanie Cover at Cover Law today at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today. Dr. Eric Mason, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Mason, uh, earlier you just mentioned, you hit on the uh, the fact that there's gender issues. There's uh, uh, the, the issue of sexism in the church. There, of course, there's the issue of racism in the church. And now you've got this LGBTQ plus movement. And what I'm hearing more and more from pastors, I mean, which I think is healthy, is not, well, we've got all the answers to it, but rather these issues are not new, and yet there is a biblical solution for it if only we will engage. Talk about why it's important for us as Christians to say, I'm willing to have the conversation about whichever the issue is, rather than just to say, well, it doesn't happen here. And once you figure it out, come back to us and then you could be a part of our church, which I, I'm chuckling only because you know what that's the, been a reality for a lot of pastors and a lot of congregations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that, um, you know, this is what I always say. And this is a, that's a real good question. The, the, the church should be the safest place to doubt. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it should be the safest place to doubt, and um, it should be. It, 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 and so we don't we don't push people's doubt away, and we don't we don't make fun of or become cynical about their doubt, right? And so I think the church. One of the things that we have to do, and this is this is such a good question because I believe that the internet church, you know, the church that's on kind of the popular internet churches, all they talk about is purpose, like. Mm-hmm. which is really personal assignment, you know, and, you know, it's just, they're always talking about purpose, 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 purpose. You know, certain churches, they, they're so expositional and they go just go through books of the Bible. Right. And, and then when they get to different texts, they could touch on different issues. They don't really deal with real world issues. I think when we talk about um, 
that we believe the, the word of God, uh, at least in principle, has the ability to touch and engage any issue. We just believe that, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and so in, in light of believing that, we, we have to begin to say, hey, we have to talk about sex in the church outside of just talking about sex being wrong. We have to talk about the beauty of sex, what is what was yes. created for, you know, why yes. God created it, that's procreation, recreation, celebration, consummation, all those different reasons why protection, all of those different reasons why that changes the whole perspective of things. And so we're, we're dealing with gender and letting people in our community who, who, who are dealing with gender fluidity and, and say, talk to us about our experience so that we can understand it. Because you can just beat somebody up and say, oh, you need to repent, you need to do that. You know, we need to have an opportunity by the Lord's grace to be able to hear from people, create an environment where people don't feel condemned, but they also don't feel like we're going to um, not deal with the issue. We're not going to be First Corinthians 5 where Paul has to send a letter and say, y'all just letting leaven, just leaven all up in the church. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not what we're going to do. But we're also, if somebody's knocking on the door for repentance in Second Corinthians, then we want to figure out how to platform, uh, you know, uh, set a stage for them to be able to uh, work through what they need to work through. Yeah, it's interesting using Paul's letters to the church at Corinth and, and that one verse that we all forget about when we get to the love chapter, Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way. You know, I mean, the idea that yeah. the, I mean, it's there, yeah. we we have that capacity. And oftentimes we do go into fight or flight. It's either, you know, I, I, I have to condemn you at all. This is all wrong. Or I'm just going to affirm everything you're doing because I'm afraid to tell you that, you know, what the yeah. truth is. And, yeah. and, and how Absolutely. how un, how unloving is that? I mean, to be I mean, I had heart surgery five years ago and I can only imagine if my doctor said, OK, you have an aortic valve that's failing. You're about to have an aneurysm here. But, you know, if you want to want to have surgery, that's cool. You're going to be fine. <laughs> You know, (laughs) are you kidding? I will take the nine inch scar in my chest knowing that we could be here having this conversation right now, Dr. Mason, because he told me the truth in love. I believe he's a Christian man. Uh, Let's talk about, I mean, when we look at what's happening now and we see that there are so many different brands of Christianity that I believe we're beginning to see the true colors on. I think we kind of in a Matthew 13 moment, the weeds and the wheat are kind of growing up next to each other. And now we can finally, you can smell that odor. You identify a couple of them that kind of have a Christian brand, but they're not necessarily the church in the book, Urban Apologetics. Pick any one of them, and it's Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, whatever, and kind of help us understand why a discerning Christian should be able to look at that and say, I appreciate where you're coming from, but here's where it goes sideways. Yeah, so one of the things that's a trick uh, that usually happens is um, I had some Jehovah's, but they haven't come to my house in a long time. So they came to my house the other day. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that they use, them Seventh-day Adventists, you know, uh, different groups like that, is they will use the same terminology we use, but they don't mean the same thing. Like, mm. when mm-hmm. we mean, son, when, we, when we say Son of God, we mean... Jesus is God. I mean, right. if he's son of God, that means he's God. I mean, that's just simple genitive in the Greek, right? But um, <laughs> but for them, they view son of God as different in essence than God. Not He doesn't have the same DNA as God, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. therefore, he's, he's not God. And so you wouldn't know that a Seventh-day Adventist 
believes that Jesus uh, is a created being, right? They're, they're Aryans. They're, you know, the, the man of Jehovah's Witness are Aryans functionally. And so, I mean, the average Christian wouldn't know what Arianism was, but if they know that Jesus Christ is eternally, uh, is, is eternal God and eternally the Son, he didn't become the Son, he always is, has been the Son. And so when you know that fundamentally from Isaiah 9, 6, and when you know that from John chapter 1, and when you, when you know that, then when you hear, when you get behind the scenes and feel past the curtain, you'll begin to see some differences in those things. And so that's, that's what is so important, and that's why it's so important when dealing with groups like this, is they will use similar terminology. They don't believe in a soul, you know, um, talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so being able, that's, that's why, you know, just knowing your, your biblical fundamentals, what apologetics, a book like this would do, is as you read it, you begin to read it and you'll realize it's kind of like sometimes when I read a book and I don't know what something means. And I, I'll say, oh, oh whether who is this person? I'm going to look them up so that I can engage the material better. I think what Urban Apologetics, again, like I said earlier, has helped believers do is go back and learn the fundamentals that they're, miss, that, that they're missing on so that they can defend them more effectively. and They can become a part of the matrix of their life. I'm talking with Dr. Eric Mason today here on The Bottom Line, just really enjoying this conversation about his new book, Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I want to ask you a personal question, if I may, because I had a chance to watch, my wife and I, we're in transition to churches right now, and our kind of online home church of choice has been Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. And yes. we've been sitting under Tony Evans's teaching for a better part of the past year, year and a half. And we were watching mm-hmm. on his birthday, not too long ago, when they honored him by bringing in all manner of guys who had been brought up under his teaching and under his leadership. And I thought I saw you in that crowd. Did I see you in that crowd? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was there. Yep. Yep. What, <laughs> was I'm, get, I'm getting chills just thinking about that moment. But what was that like for you, Dr. Mason, knowing that you were launched into ministry by a guy like Tony Evans, who if you, we could spend hours talking about what a great man of God he has been for the American church in particular. I mean, it kind of embodies everything you're talking about, does he not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he actually endorsed this and wrote the foreword to my first book, uh, Man of the Restored. But yeah, he's, been, you know, I, I met him uh, a better part of almost 30 years ago. And I was, when I went to seminary uh, in Dallas and, um, and he just took me, took to me, took me in and it, it, it was great. And so being able to see him giving his flowers while he's here and affirm his ministry on his birthday, and um, he was overwhelmed. I only seen him cry three times, and this was the third time. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he boohooed his eyes out. And I think it was a good time that he needed. And it, it felt good letting him know um, that you know it's kind of like we're your letters, man. Um, we're mm-hmm. your letters, and you've invested in us. And he you know, he tells me how proud he is of me. And so it's so great to um, have you know a ministry model uh, and and a, and, a, and a family model um, that has been just some one of the best things that happened to me so can't can't imagine what it felt like for him 
without oh my. coming in. But it felt well, great for us to be able to do that for him. I was going to yeah. say, for those of us watching on television and just kind of experiencing that moment, I can only imagine what it was like for you on the stage and for those in the congregation. And what a what a beautiful moment. Uh, Dr. Eric Mason, a couple moments left in our conversation here. As you think about the work that has been put into Urban Apologetics, the new book, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians, Let's exhort our body of Christ who's listening right now and saying, I want to do better. I want, I, want to, I want to be made aware of my blind spots. I want to look at the areas where my faith is strong, but where I can also do better as well, too. How, do we, how can a church, how can a Bible study put this, this resource into practice to do that? Oh, man, people already are. So putting this into practice, you know, people going through this together as groups, Sure, whole churches have been buying the book, <laughs> men's mm-hmm. ministries, women's ministries, and they've been putting it into practice because one of the things that, uh, you know, churches really, really need is practical insight on how to help their church to be equipped to navigate contemporary challenges and issues. Um, and so we, 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 so we want to be able to engage what it means redeeming culture. And so this is going. This book and this resource is going to help uh, really believers uh, 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 re-engage their identity, not the, not merely as a worker, but a missionary by identity, and not just function. And so this this is going to this is an exciting opportunity to be able to use it as a small group study, um, online study, and book study. And you and, and, and all of these issues. I mean, we're dealing with what critical race theory, redeeming the culture. Surviving and thriving in multi-ethnic context, you know, uh, evangelicalism and white Christian nationalism, uh, uh, faith, hope, love, black liberation. Theology. We go on and on and on and on and talking about these, right? And, and developing biblical convictions in disciples of uh, the global church. I mean, man, it sounds like a great book. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those you, you take a step back and go, "Hey, I was part of this." But I mean, this really—it's. It, but, it, but but isn't it great where the Holy Spirit gives you that discernment where you can look at something and say, "This is a helpful resource," and then to come back and say, "And I was privileged to be a part of it." I mean, that's that's got to be a amen. Good for you. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And so yeah, I, so I I think if you don't have a conversation after reading one of these chapters, conversation starter and something to engage people with, it, it, it to me, um, it, it has I can't I've just been blown away by how many thousands of people. Matter of fact. Um, people in Africa are reading it mm. and people in Europe, I'm being in London, um, uh, this fall and they're bringing me there just to talk about this issue because they're dealing with all of these issues that we're dealing with there. I so, love it. I love it. Um, so, so, so it's a global, it's, I'm just excited that it's taking global shape to help even the global church dealing with it, it may be some nuanced differences here and there, but fundamentally, it's course the same. So, yeah. Wow, that's great. Great to hear. Dr. Eric Mason, the book is called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians, and the book is packed, filled with solutions as well from the pages of Scripture. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Mason, thank you so much for the work that you've done on this, re- this project, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thank you. Th- thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Powerful conversation and uh, grateful to Dr. Eric Mason for being so generous with his time to discuss this brand new book called Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies. These are biblical and theological challenges facing Christians, regardless of your denomination, regardless of your ethnicity. This is a book, um, though, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to steer away from the fact 
that the majority of the writers here are African-American. But I, I, this call to unity, I think, will be important for a lot of churches. And these are, this, this could be great Bible study material. It could be good sermon material. I highly recommend it. Um, we've got not one, not two, but three copies of this book, Urban Apologetics, to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is called Urban Apologetics by Dr. Eric Mason. Cults and Cultural Ideologies, Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. It features writings from Bishop Kenneth Ulmer from right here in Los Angeles, uh, the esteemed John Perkins, civil rights leader in, in his 90s now, 92, 93, still uh, offering great wisdom for reconciliation. Dr. Crawford Loritz is in there as well. Uh, these are voices that you trust and, uh, and principles that will bring healing to your congregation and also uh, greater understanding to who uh, your, your faith in Christ, what it really should be looking like. Urban Apologetics by Dr. Eric Mason, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're gonna take a look at some urban apologetics in action with a very, very controversial issue that should be, I mean, it seems like it's a slam dunk no-brainer to those of us in the body of Christ, but when you understand how many people are actually split in the church on this one issue, it might give you pause to reconsider how you approach the sanctity of human life. Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, we have some good news from our friends at Preborn, and that is that we have a match in place that you gotta take advantage of right now. I call it the 15 by the 15th campaign. Uh, an anonymous listener uh, who listens to the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California has put up a match for Preborn. Uh, he, this listener has donated $15,000, which is the cost of one uh, ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and said, hey, I'll put this up as a match. Let's get bother bottom line listeners involved to make donations, large or small. And once we get to another 15,000, then we can give the whole amount to preborn and get two uh, ultrasound machines in preborn clinics here in Southern California. So what do you say? We're a couple hundred dollars in on this match. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who can make a $500 or a $1,000 donation, maybe even a $2,500, knowing that it's A, tax deductible, and B, going to be matched dollar for dollar to get another ultrasound machine in that will save babies' lives. Call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or you can make a donation online. It's really easy. When you go to kbrightradio.com or you can go to my website rogermarsh.com and click on the preborn banner there let's save lives through preborn fifteen thousand dollars by the 15th of october we can do this my thanks again to dr eric mason for joining us today here on the bottom line to discuss the new book he's the he's a contributor and the general editor to a book called urban apologetics cults and cultural ideologies Biblical and Theological Challenges Facing Christians. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, one of the areas where there is a lot of confusion with regard to what it means to be a Christian and what's a biblical worldview of Christianity is in the area, surprisingly, of the sanctity of human life. If you talk to Christians who say, oh yeah, I'm pro-life, I believe that life begins at conception, I don't believe that abortion should be legal, um, that's a very common 
uh, sentiment that you hear among people in the church. But then you'll see people who are part of denominations. So right now, I mean, you know, because it's the largest denomination, I'm thinking of the Catholic Church, who will continue to vote for pro-abortion Democrat leadership and say, well, I'm actually you know, pro-life, I'm anti-contraception, I'm anti-abortion, but if I vote for Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden or whatever, well, that's just, you know, that, that, those are my political leaders. There's kind of a disconnect there. And then if you see people who want to see the government, like I think of Democrats for Life, again, as a group that would love to see the government expand its role and have even more input in people with different needs, so people who are elderly and infirm, but expanding the government rather than saying, hey, let's make it easier for the church to step up. Do you have any idea? I mean, this is just a thought. It's one I've had in my mind for a while, and I share it with you often here on the Bottom Line Show. Do you have any idea how many government agencies we could put out of business if every church in America sold their property and started renting from like a local school or a civic hall or muting in homes? I mean, how many hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even billions of dollars, do churches have in property that they own? Now, I know a lot of churches have mortgages, and maybe they don't own that stuff, but if we took the equity of every church I mean, it's just a, it's a crazy idea, but maybe it's not that crazy. If we took the equity out of every church in America, even half the churches in America, and put it toward the sanctity of human life for having uh, facilities that would actually handle, you know, like massive amounts of preborn type clinics, you know, we're, we're buying ultrasound machines and showing women the value of adoption and, you know, even helping to underwrite some of that stuff. Uh, getting rid of like welfare programs where people just assume, well, I'm, this income level so I can't you know make it without the government what if the church took that role it, it's just a thought the reason I, I think about this too is we have had yet another attack by a pro-abortion group on a pro-life organization this time it was the second Baptist church in Palermo Maine uh, someone vandalized the church we will put the picture up at the bottom line show.com they threw blood or what red paint um, on the side of the church uh, building, the, uh, the main building, it looks like the sanctuary. And then there's a sign that says, abortion is our human right. Now, this happened right after the governor of Maine signed a bill into law that basically would allow abortions up to birth So isn't that interesting? Maine, like a lot of New England states, taking the very, very pro-abortion approach, and yet in spite of the fact that there are some pro-lifers who are trying to fight against that, um, they, they're still being vandalized. And yet, we shared yesterday on the program about the guy in North Dakota who ran over, got drunk one night, was at a gathering in a small North Dakota town. There's a kid, a family friend that he knew, 18-year-old guy. And the, the, the leftist Democrat guy ran over the other kid, hit him with his car because he didn't like the MAGA talk. He was, he was talking about supporting Donald Trump and the Republican Party. And so the 41-year-old man, intoxicated, ran over the 18-year-old kid. The kid wound up dying from his injuries. The man who hit him was charged with manslaughter and will spend five years in prison but pro-life advocates who go to an abortion clinic and basically lock themselves inside the building each got 11 years in prison. The pro-abortion argument here 
uh, well, we have to protect. It's a, it's a human right. There have been, according to LifeNews.com, this attack in Palermo was the 309th attack since the Dobbs decision. Dobbs decision was on June 24th, 2022. Today is September 28th, 2023. There have been 309 attacks on churches or pro-life uh, building facilities over the past year and three months. And to our knowledge, not one of the attackers has been charged with any kind of crime. That in and of itself makes me want to encourage you to support preborn all the more. Uh, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Make a $1,000 donation today. Make, think about the number of people who attended this church in Palermo, Maine. Maybe it's a congregation of 50 or 100 people. Consider making a, a donation of $28, which is one ultrasound appointment, for every person who attends that church. D- determine it's 50 people and write the check. Or think about if Palermo has a preborn clinic with an ultrasound machine, maybe a $15,000 one-time gift, which would provide an ultrasound machine. Completely tax deductible, by the way. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 is the number to call. Or you can give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com and click on the preborn banner today. Now, as we continue, a final thought on these pro-abortionists who are attacking pro-life centers and why would people attack a church, especially when you hear the statistic I'm going to share with you about people in the church who either have had abortions or are getting abortions. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this edition of The Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here. You've got a couple minutes left to get in on the giveaway. We're giving away not one, not two, but three copies of Dr. Eric Mason's book, Urban Apologetics, Cults and Cultural Ideologies, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We were talking uh, earlier about um, a church in Palermo, Maine, that was vandalized. The Second Baptist Church in Palermo was vandalized with pro-abortion signs and some red paint. Um, They they painted abortion as a human right on the rear of the church, uh, and they defaced the church. The church has a, a nativity scene that they leave up all throughout the year, and somebody wrote, Queer Love for Eva on top of that. Uh, the pastor there, Joshua Barnes, addressed the crime and said, uh, he actually spoke about it in his Sunday morning service and said, look, they parked out of our camera range. They walked in the dark. That's typically what cowards do. We will find out who it is. I'm sure it's somebody local. But then he also asked for forgiveness for the vandals. 309 times since the overturning of Roe versus Wade has a church or a pro-life pregnancy center been vandalized by pro-abortion advocates and not one of them has faced any jail time but consider this brothers and sisters as we wrap up this segment we in the church often point the finger at those people who get abortions but did you know that 54 percent of the women who will have an abortion this year are regular churchgoers i would like to tell you that the majority of christians are anti-abortion but it's just not true the number of Christians who profess faith in Christ and say that they would never elect pro-abortion candidates routinely vote Democrat. 35% of registered Democrats consider themselves to be pro-life and still keep voting for Democrats. The Democratic Party has become the party of death. Not every Christian who 
is a Democrat, of course, is pro-life. That's something we have to understand. And not every Christian is going to vote Republican, even though the party is more pro-life than not pro-life. But brothers and sisters, judgment begins with the house of God. It's like Tony Evans very wisely says, God starts with the church house before he goes to the White House or the State House. May we be people whose witness is consistent when it comes to the sanctity of human life. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.